for you. Dennis Hopper, you. ladies and gentlemen. If you can keep your head when all about you losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for the doubting too. Or being lied about. Don't deal in lies. Or being hated. Don't give way to hating. And yet, don't look too good and talk too wise. If you can dream, but not make dreams your master. If you can think, but not make thoughts your aim. If you can meet with triumph hmm, and disaster, and you just treat these two imposters just the same. Or bear to hear the truth that you've spoken, twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools. Or watch the things that you've given your life to broken. And stoop and build them up again with worn out tools. If you can make one heap of all your winnings, huh? and risk it in one turn of pitch and toss and lose. Start again at your beginnings. Never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and your nerve and your sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone, and so hold on when there's nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings, but never lose a common touch. If neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you, but none too much, you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distant run. Yours is the earth and everything that's in it. Which is more, you're gonna be a man, my son. shot the last movie in a few short, cocaine-fueled weeks in the mountains of Peru, and he edited it, gripped by the worst kind of bad craziness. The result was a notorious flop. It became a cautionary tale of new Hollywood excess. But despite its reputation, I liked it a lot. I think the last movie calls for serious consideration. And to help me with that consideration, I'm joined by returning guest Joe Gamble. 
a fine art photographer and professor of photography at uh, Colorado Mountain College. How you doing, Joe? Hey, Adam. How are you, man? It's great to be here again. Thanks for having me back. I'm so happy to have you back. You suggested that we do the last movie. What made you interested in talking about the last movie? Well, I, you know, this is sort of a notorious film. I mean, it's, yeah. it, it's the film that, you know, derailed the career of, uh, you know, one of our, I think, great, you know, American auteurs, Dennis Hopper. And I, yeah. had, I had never seen the film, although I had seen uh, Easy Rider multiple times. And yeah. a lot of the sort of films that Dennis is known for in his 1980s resurgence, you know, the... Yes. You know, the, the, uh, obviously Hoosiers is probably the great example of that when he was uh, actually nominated for an Academy Award. And so right. I want Blue Velvet is probably the... Yeah, Frank Booth and Blue Velvet yeah. and then uh, yeah. Feck in River's Edge. I mean, he yes. he just sort of, you know, the, the story of Dennis Hopper's career is that of a, of a real true phoenix that sort of emerged mm. from uh, the disastrous ashes of the 1970s. And this was the film... And it's, you know, I had never seen it. And I was like, man, I was like, man, I really, I really have to go deep on Dennis Hopper. I've kind of wanted to. And, and this is the film that, that begs it because it it is the, it's the second album syndrome that great artists have fallen (laughs) prey to. It's, you know, it is, it is that second album syndrome. It's the, it's Orson Welles second film. It's, it's in many ways the the nine month odyssey for the Doors to release their follow up to their first album. This is this is that for Dennis Hopper, and so I felt strongly that this would be a great one for us to to bat around a bit because of the controversial nature of it. And when I went into it, I was expecting, oh my God, this is probably just completely unwatchable. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was wrong, you know. <laughs> Well, so I'm assuming first, just to back up a little bit, that you had read about this movie or come across it before seeing it, right? Yeah, there's a there's a number of uh, sort of articles that I had I'd looked at about it. There was a, an article that uh, was 2018 in Esquire magazine. Okay, Matt, it's called Dennis Hopper's Mad Vision uh, by Josh Carp from 2018 in Esquire, and I remember reading that and being like, "Man, I still." I can't believe I haven't seen this. I really have got to find a way to see it. And, uh, and as you know, this film, uh, sort of disappeared for many years. Dennis was trying to bring it back. Um, and, uh, it, it, you know, it, it was, you know, this film was re-edited and cut by the studios into the studio universal into a film called Chinchero that was, released without Hopper's name on it. And it was like, I think it was like a late night movie thing. And it, so this original cut of the film, um, yeah, you know, it's hard to say that the original cut of the film, because there were, <laughs> there were so many versions that Dennis yes. made, but, yeah. but what was the cut that he took to Venice in 71 and that was released in New York and LA that, that cut of the film, I, I think had to be um, rediscovered and, and, and it, and it has been, and it was re-released. I think it was after Dennis's death and I think it was 2016. I'm not entirely oh, really? sure on that. I didn't. Well, so when you, when you watched it at last after hearing its reputation, uh, what, what were your thoughts? What, how did you, what, what do you think of this movie? So it was, it was, you know, just to be, be totally accurate there. Um, he died in 2010, so it was okay. It was restored in 2018, and so I think that's what oh. that's what led to that Josh Carp article uh, that appeared in Esquire. 
So yeah. your your question is, what was your question there? <laughs> what did you think of the movie? What did I think of the movie? Well, I, yeah. I, I, I think it is, I think the film is, um, it has some extremely beautiful uh, sequences. Um, but it's, it's many ways like several films in one film. And I think, yeah, and, it, yeah. and it's been called obviously this sort of, it's been called a meta film, you know, because um, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. a film about a film, you know, it's a metafictional drama, but I, I felt that likely, you know, supposedly, you know, one thing that has been tossed around about this film is that the first edit of it was actually really good. And yeah, it was, yeah, and yeah. it was, and it was very linear and it, it, and it was a success. And, and unfortunately Dennis had, had, you know, sort of sequestered himself into Taos and, and, yes. and, and this self-imposed exile from Hollywood. Um, yeah. and it's clear that he lost his way. Uh, he got lost in the woods, you know, to use yeah. sort of, a, a you know, a, to be used like a metaphor, but that's what happened with this film. And it's obvious because there are some excellent moments in this film. There's some great scenes and there's, there's even some great improvisational dialogue. And I, yeah. and I also think one of the great things that as a filmmaker, he did was this, well, I don't know if it was a great thing to be quite honest, because I don't think he, he resolves it well, but that, that notion of just fracturing chronology and a narrative. Yeah. And he, I mean, and I think that was a giant risk. And I think, I think that's what tr- took this film, which I know Universal Studios and uh, I think his name was Lou Wasser Wasserstein or Lou Wasserman, the uh, the head of the, the the studio, wanted it to be a commercial success. But when Dennis did that and, yeah. and, and fragmented the chronology, I think it it enters into the realm of art film, and that's yeah. And if it if we accept that going in. And yeah. we stay open-minded. There's some beautiful moments in this film. There's some real wonderful takeaways from this film. Yeah. And I, yeah. I wonder, do you, you know, how did you, how did you feel? Because when I first, I've, I've watched it now, I think three times. And the, oh, wow. the, and the first time I watched it, I was, I was just like, yeah, it's just so broken. And then, right. And then I watched it a second and third time, and I'm like, oh, but there's, there was clearly some, some greatness here that just didn't fully get realized in the edit. You know, right. And what did you feel? Because when you first watched it, you were like, this was great. Yes, I think it's a masterpiece. I loved it. I mean, there are a bunch of asterisks for me, you know, that, but I think it was, this is an important work of art. I love this fucking movie. I, th- I think it was, um, it, it, I, we both kind of went through these rabbit holes and sort of got obsessed with Dennis Hopper. And spiraled out into it. And I, if I didn't respond to this movie the way I did, that would not have happened. Uh, I, I don't know where to begin. I, I mean, first of all, I think, were, were you surprised? when Because we were, we were texting back and forth. I think that maybe I, I took you by surprise by my reaction to this movie. Yeah, a, a little bit. Because you said it was so... Yeah. I, I think one of the things you said that I, I, I kind of... I really respected was you said, it's such an honest film. about Dennis Hopper. And I'm watching, actually, I've got it on in the background, like I was telling you earlier, and I'm watching that scene, which I think is probably one of the finest scenes in the film, is the the long shot where, early in the film, where the the party is going on, and there's three different musical 
scenes happening. Yes, that seems brilliant. Oh my God. Laszlo Kovics is the, you know, the director of cinematography, that shot, that tracking shot, moving through those, those scenes. And then Hopper, Hopper the it goes through the different sounds. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but just the yeah. way it goes through the fucking because there's the first song, which is like this Laurel Canyon kind of folky thing, like hippie right. weed yep. stuff. And Peter Fonda is like playing in the back. Peter Fonda is playing with the, <laughs> the guitar and singing with you know it's it's very 1960s tradition. Yeah. It's it's in many ways it's almost like that's Easy Rider, and now we're moving away from it. Yeah, then it goes to like this boogie woogie piano thing. Which becomes, which is like, it's good and whatever. It's more traditional and old, you know, old fashioned, but, um, but it's jarring for whatever reason coming after that folk music. Cause it just seems more like up-tempo and more aggressive. Um, and then it just goes into this other soundscape after that. And then it goes back backwards. Those two, those three things. And yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right on the visual, but like the sound blew me away on that one. Yeah. And then Dennis, Dennis's character of Kansas um, yeah. in, in that moment is so incredibly vulnerable and, yes. and tears up and, and you almost wonder like, is this the, the cracking veneer of, <laughs> of Dennis Hopper, who's carrying yeah. the weight the weight on his shoulders as an actor, as a, as the filmmaker and as the writer of this film. And he has this enormous pressure from the studio. And it's like, is that cracking? I mean, I think I read and I did read in an interview that he said in that scene that he felt um, that that scene brought, it brought Dean back to him in a way, uh, James Dean. Yeah. yeah. James Dean is going to, yeah, we're going to talk a lot about James Dean in the next like hour and a half or whatever. Yeah. You can't help if you you can't help because you can't help but do that because he's the older brother or the ghost or the ghost that sort of, I, I think, I think haunts Dennis Hopper through, uh, through his yeah. career, not only as a filmmaker and as an actor, but uh, as an artist, as a true, true artist. And so yeah. um, I love that scene. I think that scene is 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 yeah. incredibly brilliant. It's a brilliant moment in the scene. Yeah. Um, and and, yeah. and and I but I don't but it's hard to connect the, the, the greatness of that vulnerability that he shows in that scene to yeah. some of to some of the haphazard like idiocy that appears later in the film in other scenes that just sort of drove me it frustrated me <laughs> it frustrated me as i'm sure it probably frustrated um you know david uh, berlatsky who edited the film as well as his producer <laughs> like paul paul lewis and, and, who produced the film and probably most of the early audiences who did not respond well to this movie at all right or right. or the critics as well um but so i'll give my thesis statement real quick which is sure that I think this is a pure autobiographical movie of Dennis Hopper. And I think that he is using the medium of film to try to like the same way that he used method acting of trying to convey a character in a movie by finding some kind of truth in it. I think he's using the medium of film to try to do that, to try to tell a story and convey the mean, the, the, the truth that he feels. Oh, thank you, sweetie. Oh, yeah, my daughters came down with some chocolates, um, and and so, and so it's a movie about. And but it's, this is the thing though; it's not. He wasn't feeling pleasant shit. Like he was feeling a lot of alienation, a lot of loss, a lot of self-loathing, and he was a violent, misanthropic guy. And he's very honest about that in the movie. Like 
he, he was really bad with women. He was very seductive, but he was violent towards them. And he doesn't shy away from portraying himself doing that. It's a truthful portrayal of that, of the most hateful part of him in the movie. And so all this, like, and, but he was a showbiz kid, right? Like he, he didn't go to college. He, um, like at 19, he was in his first movie, which was his first TV show and his first movie. And his first movie was fucking Rebel Without a Cause. Right. And that's where he meets, you know, the great influence on his life, James Dean, for, you know. And um, so he's this showbiz guy because, you know, we, you and I were both like watching like his old John Wayne movies and we we're looking at like his old TV stuff. And, um, you know, so he came through this Hollywood system. Like Very, we think of him yeah. as like this 60s guy, but he's like really rooted in mainstream movies and just went fucking weird because he's a you know because he's kind of a you know neurotic uh artist guy i mean he's i think his work is great but i think he also had a lot of problems you know um and he's trying to express all of that in this movie and trying to make people feel it watching this movie and so a lot of it's not going to be pleasant a lot of it's not going to make a whole lot of sense and a lot of it is going to slip in between like his life in movies, which is, you know, not real. It's a simulation and his real life, which is fucking like weird and painful and also more and more defined by substance abuse. And that creates its own alienation too. And just sort of this like loss and trying to express this idea, trying to express this feeling, this emotion through film. <laughs> and it, comes across so well i think i i do i mean it, i i do think you're you're you nailed it i mean i think you nailed it and and it's a it's for that reason i think a lot of filmmakers do celebrate the last movie um i know alex cox uh the director yes. he had a lot to do with with bringing bringing attention to it and screening it is that um, true i know that he that alex cox cast him in his follow-up to repo man the the shitty one with Joe Strummer, but yeah, yeah, no, Alex Cox. I, I, I when I was first kind of nibbling around trying to find, <laughs> you know, I was trying to find the last movie first of all. Um, but Alex, Alex Cox, there was an interview with him, um, and he talked about uh, screening the film and bringing the film um, to some some of the major cities and and showing it again and 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 how much he he appreciated it. I think and I think a lot of directors. Uh, do appreciate it. But I think if you look at it from that perspective that you're mentioning, that it's, it's almost a biographical film because it's, it's a film yeah. with, it's a film. It's very much a film within a film. And then, yeah. and then you also, it's, it's hard to disassociate the, uh, the film that Lawrence Schiller made uh, of the editing of the last movie. Um, Is with, that a American dreamer? American dreamer, because, one of the I things that, that was, um, um, was I thought that was Kit Carson. Yeah, it was Kit Carson and Lawrence Schiller. Were the they were the they did it together. Oh, and the, okay. And one of the things that I that is so interesting is later on when Dennis yeah. had sobered up, um, you know, he he basically felt that any time that the last movie was screened, it was important that American Dreamer be shown with it, like in Oof. you know almost in front of it to show kind of where what was really going on in the process mm. of that film. But yeah, I think I love your reading of it. The, the confessional, yeah. the confessional nature of it, that this, that this isn't, is also really about um, what it means 
to shoulder that burden, you know, as a as an actor and a filmmaker and an and an emissary of Hollywood. But at the same time, I, I, I think I think Dennis, you know, in this film is sort of shattering you know, his idols in a way, in a way, yeah. in a way it's, it is, it is a rebel movie. I mean, it is. It absolutely is. It, it, it's it, so fu- Oh, go on, go on, go on. No, I was just going to say he's, he's taking aim at that system that you described that, that yeah. nurtured him and that brought him into, uh, into mainstream filmmaking when he was an 18 year old boy, you know, in Nick, yeah. in Nick Ray's rebel without a cause. He's, yeah. he's, he's now, it's an act of it's really an almost an act of, of Billy from Easy Rider, his character just going yeah. into a full rebellion against the system. And in this instance, it's the system of Hollywood and of filmmaking. Yeah, but I think he's also celebrating that to a degree. I mean, he's trying to make like his honest statement and he he loves he loved Hollywood. He loved that shit. You know, he, I mean, he recognized that it was a simulation. And he had some had some, you know, thoughts about it. He liked all that stuff like the um, and, and, and I, I want to build on that idea in a second. But I also want to say that the other thing I liked about it was that it was just shot so beautifully. I love fucking Peru in this movie, like all the beautiful mountain scenes and all of like just he just he very wisely, you know, and, and he just kept the camera rolling. And so you have all these like people in the town. And right. They're there. And he kept the camera rolling. And so you have like, you know. Uh, the mists rising off the the water and he kept the camera rolling and you have the mountains and you have just this beauty that's in the movie and it's like rich and colorful and uh, there's not another movie like it. I, you know, I thought it was terrific. There is an intellectual exercise in this movie because um, Dennis Hopper, he talked about like um, Jean-Luc Godard, like, you know, and, and he talked about like um, uh, Kubrick and stuff. So he, he was trying to, like, he was heady, a heady filmmaker, you know, and he was trying to um, explore, you know, the margins of film and see what you can do with the medium for sure. So right. you have like this weird jittery um, uh, 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 editing, which I love, I, you know, I, and I, I think it's something that, that was the first thing I think I really picked up on was just the, that weird montage uh, editing and things that don't really don't like, they're not sequential in the way that we're used to. They don't like a lot. It often doesn't make narrative sense. I mean, you were talking before about the overall story and the way that it's sort of, it's not told linearly, but also right. individual scenes, like, you know, like the way it's cut, like uh, it, it, it takes you out of time. You know, it's like not, it doesn't feel like a movie in that way. Like, and you really, it's, it's very Brechtian, to be fucking, you know, like just a little bit too obvious, you know, but like very Brechtian, like it's very like taking you out of it, like t- calling your attention to the, everything that's going on with what you're watching in the movie. It's not letting you fall asleep and it's trying to ask some big questions. It's flailing at some of them, but it's, you know, really wants to ask these big questions, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're talking about, that's one layer of the film is one layer of the film is like right. the, 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 um, like Catholicism versus this kind of native wicker man movie thing. Yeah. So like the plot, yeah, you, you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 For sure. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think Dennis Hopper said that, you know, one of the quotes that he said, I don't remember it exactly, but paraphrasing here that he, he wanted to make a film where you were, you're watching a film, but you're constantly reminded um, that it's a film, 
that it's yeah. a, that yeah. it is a film that it's you know and and that that meta narrative which is yet an, which is a, a part of the layering i think of the content within yeah. the film yeah is I, I just want to get all this stuff kind of cleared out out of the way. So here, here's my a couple of my asterisks for this movie. I think it really benefits from uh, having very low expectations going in. Right. So I'm I almost feel like shitty like saying it's great because I think like people might watch it and be like, "What the fuck is Adam talking about?" Well, I think you have to love you have to love film. Uh, you you really have to love film to appreciate it. I mean, I think if you're if it's a Friday night and you're you're looking for an action adventure and you're like, oh, Adam said the last movie is good, you're you're gonna yeah. be you're gonna be in for a real rude awakening about ten minutes yeah. into this film, you know. But yeah. if but if you're in that mindset of uh, of like, I want to watch an independent film, I want to watch an art film, I want to I want to I want to see a time capsule as well from yeah. uh, from a great artist um, and a film that in many ways tried to in- intentionally sought out to break a lot of the. I think the rules of cinema in 1970, then, then absolutely yeah. this is a film to explore. Yeah. So that's my first asterisk is that it really, you know, watching it, I'm like, Oh, this is not as bad as people have said. Right. You know, so it, it takes, you know, it has a buoyancy just from that. And the second thing is I didn't watch it all straight in a row. Okay. Uh, I held this fact back from you when we were discussing the movie, I watched it in like half hour chunks. Right. And, I think that's really the way to go with this movie because it's, it's about two hours long, which is not that long, but you know, um, but it kind of, it, it has its moments where it's deliberate and on the almost plotting, you know, and I could see like watching it in a theater where there's nothing else to do. I could see hating this movie, but if you can like watch it for half an hour and you're like, all right, this is, I'm a little checked out, just turn it off and come back the next day. It's wonderful because because this is the thing like every half I watch in half hour chunks and every time I came back from pausing the movie, it surprised me. Like the thing we were talking mm-hmm. about before right. with like the um, the the you know, you know, the movie, The Wicker Man, you know, yeah, that's what it seemed like it was building towards at the end. Like they're, you know, they're that Dennis Hopper's character is going to be sacrificed for this, you know, um, atavistic kind of um ceremony thing right. with the fake movie cameras and i was that's that was like my third checkout and i'm like ah uh, i don't know well that I, I know. you know that is what um lou wasserman wanted you know that's what the, i know that's what they wanted him to do with the with the ending of the film and because his agent had you know secured the final cut he refused and he would not yeah, he would yeah, not I, buckle I, on that I think he was right to refuse it because in the, I mean, he couldn't have known this, but in the long, you know, the, the flattened circle of history of, of film, you know, there's a movie called the wicker man and the, which came out later, you know, the British movie and pretty much the same thing happens where this guy is kind of tricked into becoming sacrificed by this cult. He doesn't understand. That's a little bit like primitive or whatever. And and I was like, oh, fuck, they're doing the fucking Wicker Man. This is boring. But then all of a sudden, they get to the Wicker Man point of him being a sacrifice. And the movie's like, oh, no, 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 we're not doing that. We're not doing that. Instead, all of this fakery that we're, we're that, you know, you're seeing, because they have like these, um, uh, uh, like, I don't know how you call them. Like, they made wooden uh, fake, like, movie cameras, and they're putting on a whole fake movie. And it seemed, like, if you want to make a woke reading of it, it seems kind of, like, fucking racist or whatever. And 
also it's boring because of the wicker man shit. And, but then all of a sudden it snaps out of that and it goes like hard meta. And it's like, Oh no, you thought that you were smarter than these people who are doing this, you know, fake movie thing. No, the movie itself is fake. What you're watching now, this is fake. And, and the same thing that they're trying to simulate, you're trying to simulate too. And you're trying to fucking, you know, the same thing that they're, that looks so fake to when you're watching them and you're judging them for right now, that's the same thing that's going on in your fucking head. And it was just like, Oh, Oh, perfect. Great. Thank you. You know, then I can, I can definitely roll with this for half an hour and it will work great. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There is, there is a, I mean, I mean, it's almost like, you know, maybe we should talk at, at some point about what are the many plots in the film? I mean, cause there, <laughs> yeah, cause it's like, it's like, it's, it's like, it's like there are several <laughs> films within this film. I, I mean, know. you know, it's like, it's yeah. like, you know, so I, I literally, when I watched it the first time, yeah, I literally yeah. just took notes and I was like, all right, what's going on? Cause I was like, I was prepared. A, a friend of mine said, Oh, I watched that like 20 years ago in an art, you yeah. know, an art house at like a, a, a late show. And he's like, uh, it's, yeah, it's kind of almost unwatchable. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, it's like, all right. So I, I felt like yeah. I needed to take notes and it's like, you know, it's like, so what are you, what are we actually just watching in terms of the, of, of, of what is on screen? Well, Right. You know, before we start intellectualizing that there's like a, you know, a, a sort of, uh, you know, cultural hegemony of, 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 uh, yes. of, of like I North. I, I, I went like into the stratosphere real quick, but yes, like you're right. Yeah. Cause I mean, you can tell me the, tell me the story. Tell so what, the story so what, so happened. what are we actually seeing on screen? Well, what we're seeing yeah, on yeah, screen yeah. is we're seeing basically uh, a film crew film, a Western technically about Billy the kid. And yes. and it was inspired, you know, the original premise that was written in the, the script with Stuart Stern, who was the writer of Rebel Without a Cause, Dennis yeah, Hopper yeah. and Stuart Stern wrote a film that was inspired by uh, on the Sons of Katie Elder, which was Dennis's first big Hollywood film again in 1965. He Great and uh, he and the yeah, you and I watched it and, and loved it. Loved yeah, it. I'm, gl- I'm so glad that you like that movie. Oh, I, man, I, I, I recommended that that to you with a lot of caveats, but I really like, Oh that. man, that is a, that is one of now in my top, top five Western films. Probably. Thank I you. really loved it. I love that film. Yeah. Um, but it was he and Michael Anderson sitting around in Durango, Mexico after the film has been <laughs> made and they yeah. are, they are, they're hanging out. They're kind of partying. And Dennis gets this, yeah. gets the idea for the making of what would it be like staying behind, uh, after a film is made and then, you know, maybe the locals make their own film. And so that was the genesis of the film. So what do we see? Right. Well, we, we see this Western being filmed by a lot of Hollywood people and they're partying it up. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, you know, probably Peruvian cocaine and weed and we see folk yes. songs and we see Peter Fonda, we see Chris Christopherson and they're in Samuel the back. Fuller. Yeah. yeah. Sam Fuller. Um, you know, John Buck Wilkin, oh, Michelle Phillips uh, and Michelle Phillips from Mamas and the Papas. Dennis Who's is married to Phil- to Dennis Hopper for, for seven days. Yeah. The seven day wedding where, you yeah. know, <laughs> you know he, she fled to the airport and he chased after her. And yeah, it, the yeah. craziness of that. So we've yeah. got we've got a, a Western being filmed with yep. a lot of Peruvian locals in Chinchero. And then uh, the, the film ends. Everybody leaves. And, and Dennis Hopper's character, Kansas, is a stunt man. He's left behind. The sets are left behind. He yeah. he takes uh, he falls in love with a 
this Peruvian prostitute. He stays in the town and he's living kind of a a Western lifestyle, but yet in the mountains of Peru. And then the locals, the locals uh, are so disrupted by the filmmaking that they, you know, with their bam, with bamboo tools start to recreate the filmmaking process and it disrupts the Catholic stranglehold on the film. So that's the primary, I think that's the primary, you know, fundamental story that I think was actually written in to the screenplay. But then, but then there's this, you know, it's sort of, you know, it sort of falls apart for me a little bit. Um, you know, in the aftermath of that, when, um, you know, Dennis, you know, sort of, he ends up in town he meets Mr. Yeah. You know Harry Anderson, the broom making, the broom making, yeah, the broom factory, which is so perfect, yeah, yeah. And so then, uh, you know, he's kind of interested in his wife, and then he meets his his friend Neville Roby, and that I hated, I actually just so hated that scene where he he's driving into town um, with Maria, and he's he goes in into the kitchen and. And, you know, there's Neville Roby with the ducks. And he's like, what'd you kill Daffy Duck? And he's like, you love that. He's like, it's just shot him like I was shooting gooks. And it's like, oh, man, really? In the midst yeah. of the Vietnam War in 1970, you know, and, and for that. And that was obviously an improvised scene. I mean, clearly an improvisational yeah. scene. And so for me, it's like, oh, my God, now we're jumping the shark. Because then it goes down this road of like the Neville Roby quest for gold. You know, there's like the, and he's talking about the, you know, oh, the treasure yeah. of the Sierra Madre. And he's like, he's like, we just got to get backers to go get this gold. And it's like, okay, this is, this is totally a divergent plot story. And then the, yeah. and then there's the, 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 the thing of Dennis has to, you know, Dennis's character, Kansas has to make uh, amends with Maria who he's beaten he savagely. Beat he beat her yeah. savagely, which is brutal. And he has to, yeah. he has to get a mink stole from the Andersons and th- yeah, that, that, that was the scene. That was one of my first like chunk breaks was when he, I think that happens about an hour in the movie. And I was like, cause she's so great that the, oh. the actress is Maria. And they seem like up until then, it seemed like they're like making, they're, they're like making out in a, like a beautiful waterfall. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that, that, that scene really embodies that tension between Western ideals and values and, and uh, and especially those of like Hollywood and 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 you know in in many ways also like consumeristic culture with Catholicism because the priest is, is ushering these young children along the path and they're looking down and they're these there's they're naked in this waterfall and it's it's sort of this uh, Garden of Eden if you will scene and it's like oh yeah. my god that and I thought that was scene was so visually perfect i mean the way it was yeah, shot was it, amazing but it's like the divergent plot with the mink stole and the the quest for yeah. gold all of that i felt was just so unnecessary to the corpus of the film and i, I absolutely hated that scene well, uh I think that, the the scene that it. the scene that really jumped the shark for me on it was yeah, this yeah, yeah. was in a spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen it who's contemplating seeing it was was that scene where he has to go get the mink stole and he goes to the anderson house and the daughter is there with this sort of giant stuffed animal, and the son is just constant. Is the son is in pajamas with headphones on, and he's just constantly swaying back and forth in the background. Mister Anderson's got his shotgun, and um, 
she, and, and, you know, the, the mother has the argument with the daughter about where well, I'm going to give him this stole. And, and then she takes him into the office and she's just like, get on your knees, cowboy. Like all of, I think the majority of that is completely off script. And to me, that is just, it just was too far of a distraction for me from the greatness of the film, which is, which is all inhabited in this making of the Western, the, the locals making of the film. And so that that is like probably the third and fourth plot line is the gold, the quest for gold. Yeah. And then also like the, you know, the infidelity of Kansas with Mrs. Anderson potentially. And then yeah, his, his, fra- yeah, yeah. his really his difficult um, his difficult and sort of, um, I, I think, uh, you know, kind of marred relationship with Maria that, you know, because she yeah. she haven't, you know, at one point he's tired of her. And then by the end. She's just like she calls him gringo. She's just like, you're just a stupid gringo, you know, and yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. so those are sort of the stories, I think. And if I, and I may be missing one or two. I mean, there's this there's an illusion. <laughs> there's an illusion, I think, that one of the stuntmen was killed on the film. And and that stuntman yes. is kind of haunting the Kansas character. There's that might have been his that. fault somehow. Right, right. Yeah, right, right. And so that's yeah. that's sort of hidden within the story as well. Um, but there's, you know, so I think those are the, that's kind of the fractured nature of the storytelling. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I, I wrote this quote down and, and this was like the one like quote that I found probably the most meaningful because I think a lot of the dialogues really, you know, is the dialogues, a lot of it's improvised and Stuart Stern later said that he was so disappointed at how far Dennis strayed from the script, um, that he felt somewhat betrayed and disappointed in that, but there's the yeah, scene he's got, he's got to like just suck it up because that was the right thing to do. Debate. <laughs> and I'm saying that as a writer. Okay. Okay. Not an actor. Yeah. So, so there's the scene in uh, the Anderson house right before they go to the, the whorehouse um, where, where Kansas says um, where he's, you know, basically, you know, Harry Anderson is like, we want to go do something fun. You know, we want to go like, what's fun. You know, yeah, yeah, you yeah, need yeah, to yeah, show yeah. us something, Kansas. And he says, he says, you Americans, quote, you Americans get out of your own country. You come down, you come down here and you think you can look at anything. Don't tell yeah. me you'd be doing that in River City. You come down to a foreign country. You think you can look at that kind of thing. And I felt like like that quote, I was like, wow, that quote really kind of sums up the the culture clash of of this film. And I, I, I thought yeah, that that yeah. kind of summed it up. So back to our, our 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 discussion of getting maybe in, into an interpretive place about the film i think that's the, yeah. that's in in a sense what we're watching we're watching a film within a film a potential uh plot divergence with a gold rush for neville's character and then we've got this sort of like the andersons and the westerners the expatriates you know yeah. and then you know and then the incursion into the whorehouse and then and then kansas eventually ending up being a main character in the locals production of the film. And so I feel yeah, like, they, they I feel like that, that that's it in terms of just dissecting it to like, what visually are we looking at? You know? Right. Right. Yeah. No, that's a great, you made a great summary. That's really good. Um, so, so yeah. So in the last two days I read um, a book uh, called Dennis Hopper, the wild ride of a Hollywood rebel. Okay. A guy named Peter Winkler. And um, it was okay. It was an okay biography. I mean, it was, it was the thing that I liked about it the best was that it was very focused, very thorough about his films, you know, right. Like it, it said like every movie he ever did pretty much. And, um, 
and and some of it was a little bit like you know you could tell that the author didn't have much to say and you'd be like uh, and one review said this or that but right, i liked how right. thorough it was about his work um and but reading it was this kind of whiplash uh because like dennis hopper he was this guy that everybody kind of liked and kind of had a good vibe and spirit and he'd come in and everybody would laugh and whatever. And he would just, you know, everybody, he'd make everybody happy and there'd be this spirit of joy and just being like, you know, unfettered joy, which is, you know, very difficult in, in life and almost any fucking scenario. And then, um, but then like a, a paragraph later, he's beating up some lady and, you know, he's, he was like, especially when he was like this drug fiend. Right. And, um, you know, the, the late sixties, early seventies. And when he was, cause when he made the last movie, he had made, just made easy writer, which is like this super cheap movie. And that everybody said was bullshit. And then he puts it out. He, he directs it first movie ever directed. And he, um, uh, uh, no commercials, no advertising campaign. And becomes like the great, the biggest hit of that, of that year. Yeah, I, I might be I might be flubbing a detail or not like the last five years because I might be flubbing a detail here. But like there was some um, studio executive who made a big like presentation to all of Hollywood and um, said that we should be making more movies like Dr. Doolittle and like, you know, to compete with television, we have to make these big like musicals and big spectacles and things that appeal to families and we shouldn't be edgy or whatever. And then um, and those all movies all failed. All the movies that he you know, advocated for like their financial failures. And then they make this kind of cheapy fucking easy rider movie and it's embraced by audiences and everybody thinks fucking Dennis Hopper is a genius for the only time in his fucking life, you know? Right. And uh, except for, I guess like blue velvet, but yeah, but you know, everyone's like, well, this guy, he's figured something out, you know, whatever. And um, so then he does the last movie and they expect great things, you know? But he also expects great things from himself, and he thinks he's a great filmmaker. Well, which, I, which which fucks him up. I think I, I do too. I think it's a real problem, and you see that in American Dreamer is he sort of has bought into his own mythology, and I think that really becomes problematic because um, you know Easy Rider. I, I think one of the things about Easy Rider, and, I, and I've read there's there's a lot of there's a lot of competing. I think history on it and it was it was and there was a lot of tension between fonda and uh peter fonda and dennis hopper uh in the aftermath of that film because i think originally it was i mean i've read many differing things on on where the genesis of the idea came but i like easy rider by the way i do like easy rider i do i do i'm glad i'm heartened to hear that because i'm a uh i like easy rider too but i've gotten a lot of pushback i feel like people Oh, I think I think Easy Rider is is uh, was was a fantastic film and so far ahead of its time. There there's so many things you can look back on in that film and, you know, the use of the way it created that soundtrack, which 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 on its own would have catapulted it into uh, some level of mainstream success, I think. Yeah, um, I watched the scene of them on motorcycles uh, to um, I wasn't born to follow by the birds. And I've been listening to nothing but the birds for like the last three days. Like, yeah. Just, and it's it, so in my, it, yeah, it's such an impactful fucking movie. Yeah. I, I, I also think, you know, just talking about easy rider. I mean, that's a whole nother rabbit hole. That's easy to go. Yes. To, that's easy to go down. But I think one of the things about that is apparently the, the Fonda and um, 
you know, and, and, and Dennis had done their own separate sort of, uh, motorcycle movies and the motorcycle, you know, genre film, which is a whole nother, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a whole nother cinema death cult that I'd love to explore with you. <laughs> I mean, it, it yeah, had Peter Fonda did the, the wild angels, which has that dialogue. It's been quoted in a couple oh, of Oh yes. Like, tons of songs, tons of songs. Yeah. Yeah. Tons of songs. There's, yeah. there's a mud honey song, like a primal scream wanna, song. Yeah. 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 We want to be free. We're free to do what we want to yeah. do. We want to have a good time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's so, it's so classic, but they had never done a motorcycle film together. And I, I think Dennis, you know, they basically decided to do this together and they were a little reluctant to explore the motorcycle genre, but their original idea was these guys do a drug deal and they move to Florida. Like, I think that was the real <laughs> general idea was like, like they hit it big and it's like, it's like, okay, they moved to sunny Florida. And I think wow. it was, I think it was Terry Southern who's really sort of, you know, you know, there's so many competing stories about the, the, the about that screenplay, but Terry Southern, yeah, I think yeah, is yeah. the one who came in and was like, no, they they actually they're going to die at the end and they're going to go to Mardi Gras. It's about Mardi Gras. It's, right. it, it's it's not about it's not about Florida. It's not about going and living uh, down in the heat of Florida. And um, right. it's about a week of of, uh, of of public kind of celebration. I think I, evaporate. Yeah, I think Easy Rider is an excellent film. I mean, it's hard. Yeah. It, it's a very simple concept, but there's so many things that, yes, that, that, that de- there's so many things that de- like the, the opening sequence with the pusher. There is an absolute gem of 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 photographic direction that Dennis makes behind the camera. And it's clearly yes. his move. It's that move where where Phil Spector gets into the truck to sample yeah. the samples, the cocaine and the camera is in such a position that it's using the rear view mirror to reflect, uh, Dennis's character. And then Peter Fonda characters, Fonda's character. It's, it's an absolute fantastic frame. I mean, oh, it absolutely. is, it is incredibly well shot. And, and, and that, uh, again, for the, for the ghost, this will be the first time that the ghost of James Dean haunts this podcast, but as we mentioned him before, but so evidently when, um, when, James Dean was talking to uh, Dennis Hopper about photography. I think a lot of the things that James Dean said, by the way, just to, just to flavor this, I think a lot of things that, that James Dean said to Dennis Hopper was maybe to blow him off a little bit. Like Dennis Hopper was being like this annoying guy, like bothering him. And right. So he says these kind of like cryptic things, but like Dennis Hopper repeats them for the rest of his fucking life, you know? Because I mean, who wouldn't, you know, he's right. fucking James Dean. Yeah. But so De- like James Dean said something about his photography, like, oh yeah, never crop your photographs. Right. Because you want to make movies. Is that good advice? Well, that's fantastic advice. I mean, that's, that's, Is it? okay. oh yeah. And, and, uh, Hopper, Hopper talks about that in one of the, one of the documentaries he talks about. Uh, Car- Henri Cartier-Bresson, which is sort of the master of the whole decisive moment and not cropping, but cropping in camera, like whatever you capture, uh, you know, initially, you know, it's sort of that, that initial take, whatever that is, same with Robert Frank, you don't crop the image. And Dennis became a practitioner of that when he was, you know, photographing from 1961 to 1967, and really taking uh, photography seriously after um, his, his first wife, Brooke Hayward, bought him that $350 Nikon camera. <laughs> but yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it affects, I think, I think Dennis was an extraordinary photographer and, and an, yeah, really, yeah, really yeah. an amazing artist. And that, that if, that is why when you watch a Dennis Hopper film, even if you have issue as we as I do with some of the uh, the fulfillment of the of the promise of the film in the last movie, there are still some just tremendous yeah, yeah, visual yeah. visual oh, yeah. sequences that are extraordinary. 
Right, right, right. Oh yeah. To get back to the thing. So I agree with you about, um, the stuff about like, the broom factories, you know, guy and the guy with the, um, the gold mine. That's, that's like the weak link of the movie for sure. But the thing I liked about that was how it opened up, um, like Dennis in my, in my reading, like Dennis Hopper's interrogation of his, um, treatment of women, you know, because like he, he treated women fucking terribly at that time. Like he was, he was beating them up, you know, not, I mean, that's the worst thing you can do. Like what's fucking worse. But, um, so, but he puts that on screen. Like he knows that about himself and he's not, like, you know, you would think like if he is starring in this movie and he's making this movie about himself and his autobiographical thing that he would um, put forth a somewhat romanticized version of himself, somewhat right, right. of a version of himself that is OK. And, that you know, like the, the a little bit of like stuff is edited out, you know, but instead he's like, no, I beat up women. I fucking beat up women. I don't respect them. And like the whole scene with like the lady talking to him about, you know, the married woman talking to him and kind of sizing him up for seduction and right. her like that dialogue stuff. That's what really kept me interested was that element of it. Like, yeah, it's kind of boring and stupid, but like that, that thing really like that, that, that was ringing a bell for me, that, right. that element of it, which is like that it, it, he sucked in that regard, but he, he was very brave about, putting that like right out there. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's, uh, it's interesting to contrast that the character of Kansas, you know, and his assault of Maria in the film, which is really violent and it kind of, it kind of comes out of nowhere and it's, it comes out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of, uh, um, uh, table setting for blue velvet. And yeah, well, you're exactly, yeah, right. And so it, you see that scene and then to think about, uh, and then to kind of, you know, again, look behind the veil, uh, and look at, uh, American dreamer. And he's this, you know, he's kind of this, he's this macho sort of drug addled, you know, filmmaker genius. And he's, he's, and he's buying into his own mythology when they're putting him yeah, on camera a lot of times. In the beginning, like, Oh, you want to see the broads? I'll show you the broads. Right. And yeah. he, and he's like, they're, they're these playgirls, the play, play bunnies. They're coming. And, and so all these, like, I don't know what happened. They basically, apparently like they went to the airport in Albuquerque and were like, you know, these women flew in from California. They're like, do you want to be in a film with Dennis Hopper? And it's interesting yeah. because, because, that movie American dreamer is meant to be a documentary, but it is not a documentary. Like Dennis no. is, Dennis is manipulating a lot of those scenes and, and, and the, the whole, I mean, it's a documentary. Yes. But like, you know, apparently that opening sequence where he gets naked and he's showering and he's in the tub or whatever. And they're, they're in the scene. He told them, he's like, all right, I'm just going to get naked, you know? And, and like, so yeah. he's, he's performing in that scene, but where am I going with this? You know, relating it to his, the sort of confessional nature of the last movie and the sequence with his um, mistreatment of women is in that scene in American dreamer where all of those women are in his bedroom. And it's like looking, it's like, Oh my God, this is setting up to be sort of some racy wild, you know, orgy. And instead Dennis gets naked and he's just, and he's like, (laughs) and he, and he's really kind of emasculated in the presence of so many women. And it's, and he's like vulnerable yeah. and he's uncomfortable and he, he comes across like a little boy and it's, yeah, it's just such a contradiction to um, probably a lot of what you're telling me was his behavior at the time outside of, um, you know, 
being in film, but like his personal life, but then also the way yeah, he, yeah, that's yeah. presented in the, in the last movie. Yeah. No, because I mean, he had just a fucked up life in a way Like, it was very charmed in a lot of ways, like shockingly charmed. Like I was reading this book and I'm like, there must have only been like fucking four people in America who smoked weed in, <laughs> in like 1968 because it's like, oh yeah, I met this guy because I was smoking weed. Oh yeah, I met this guy because I was smoking weed. You know, I mean, like that's what Dennis Hopper said over and over. He calls it grass, but you know, whatever. Right. Um, and uh, so he has this charm because he, first he meets James Dean and you know, James Dean tells him like this thing about framing cameras. He tells him this thing about acting, you know, right. like you that whole story, the whole famous story of like, of, of basically Dennis Hopper getting so annoyed with Dean and being mesmerized by Dean and rebel without a cause. And finally off, you know, the, the story where this myth, you know, the mythology of, of Hopper is that he grabbed Dean, pulled him in the back of a car and he was like, what the hell are you doing? I don't get yeah. how you're, he basically I, is like, I don't get how you're acting. And Dean was like, Dean was basically like, you know, when you do something, you do it. You know, having, yeah, you know, yeah, it's like yeah. when you're smoking a cigarette, don't play smoking the cigarette, just smoke the cigarette, you know? Yeah. And he's famous, right? Like, yeah, yeah. That that's before. a famous yeah. story. Very, very famous story. And Vim Vinders, yeah. Vim Vinders talks about that. in one of the documentaries, um, he talks about how, if you watch rebel without a cause and you watch those scenes where hoppers in them, in those scenes with Dean, especially like the knife fight at the planetarium, Hopper yeah. Hopper's watching Dean. He's not actually he's he, he actually falls out of character. Like he literally yeah. is he's almost smiling and he's like he's instantly sympathetic and he's really mesmerized by him. And you you literally yeah. you see that in the takes in the film. It's like yeah. it's like he's actually studying Dean and he's never seen anything like it. And it you know again, here it is, ladies and gentlemen, the ghosts of James Dean with yes. Dennis Hopper. It's like it's like, you know, after that happened and, and he sort of gets these acting tips from Dean, you know, it, right, la right, it, right. it later propels him to go study with Lee Strasberg and, and yeah, yeah, go to, he, go, yeah, go to New York and, and, and really, be, you know, study method acting and inhabit method acting. And it's because yeah. it, it's because of James Dean. It's because of James Dean. And it's so interesting because I feel like James Dean. Um, OK, I'm just going to allude to this very quickly. And we don't have to talk about this very much. There was a, a gossip rumor that James Dean faked his own death and was living in Canada for the last 30 years. And I really like that idea that that was true, but I don't think it's true. But um, so the, I think the great tragedy, the greatest tragedy of Dennis Hopper's life is that De James Dean died. Right. And and really like so we're in the darker timeline. Right. The greatest timeline is that James Dean lives and that Dennis Hopper does all of his Dennis Hopper stuff, but fucking James Dean is involved. So instead of like, you know, you're watching Rebel Without a Cause and hey, there's Dennis Hopper and you're watching Giant and hey, there's Dennis Hopper. All of a sudden you're watching fucking Easy Rider and it's James Dean on a motorcycle. Like, oh, hey, there's <laughs> there's Dennis Hopper. That or could watching. That's yeah. that, that's an interesting thing to even consider. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's, the death of James Dean is is really one of those absolutely fundamental epiphany moments of, of the life of Hopper. And I don't think he would, you know, he wouldn't have traveled some of the roads that he traveled. I don't know that he would have no. been, I don't know that he would have been that great of an actor, to be honest. I don't know that he would have had such oh, a, because of the death, such a prolific. Yeah. I think that, that death, the death of Dean, the loss of Dean. Um, yeah. I think it, it, it was so profound to him 
that yeah. it, it 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 brought it brought an entirely new depth of emotional vulnerability to his ability as an actor, I think. And then I also think it, it it catapulted him directly at that point. I mean, he's basically like, you know, I've got to go to the source. I'm going to go learn from Strasburg. I'm, I, I have yeah, to, yeah, I have yeah. to honor, I have to honor Jimmy's, yeah. Jimmy's memory in the, in my service to the medium. And I think it makes him, he takes it all so much, uh, I think more seriously. And that culminates as we, as we talked about in, in 1959, uh, where, which is really the, the first moment where he gets blacklisted in Hollywood and, uh, and Henry Hathaway's from hell to Texas, where, right, he, right, you know, right, he, right. he basically inhabits the character and performs the lines in his way of interpreting. And he goes against, uh, the director's very plain direction in a scene. He did over 40 takes in one full yep. day in that scene. And Henry Hathaway said at the end of it, you know, uh, you'll never work in this town again, kid. And he, right. it, 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 that then pushes in him into a six year absence from Hollywood. He did. Right. But he, he worked again with Henry Hathaway. Yes. Yes. Because. Yeah. And he said that Henry Hathaway is one of the directors he learned the most from. Yes. And I think, I, I think that that, that, but we wouldn't have that. And si- he tried to hire him for last movie. He wanted him to be the director. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Yeah. Before he hired Sam Fuller. <laughs> but that, that period of exile, I mean, the exile of the exiles of Dennis Hopper, the exiles of Dennis Hopper are critical, formative and amazing periods of his creative output. Because from 50, yeah, 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 from yeah. 59 to 65, when he reemerges in the sons of Katie Elder, what does he do yeah. from 59 to 65? He marries Brooke Hayward. He's painting. He paints all those, uh, the, the, all of those canvases that were burned in that, that fire in California. The, I think it was the Bel Air yeah. fire. Um, uh, he buys, he's the first person to buy a Warhol. He, he's, <laughs> yeah. a, he's having his, he's shooting, he's shooting photographs that are published in, um, Vogue and yeah, and, and, Vogue, yeah. And, and he ma- did a, he did a, the photo of, um, uh, Ike and Tina Turner. That's on the inset yes. of their album that was produced by Phil Spector. Yeah. So he becomes a great art collector. He becomes a, yeah. a, 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 and a really, a truly amazing photographer in a period of exile yeah, from yeah, Hollywood. He, you I know, mean, you, I, I, I respect your, I respect your opinion on, on photography more than anybody in my life. You really think he's a good photographer. I have three of his books, man, before we even considered this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, right, I, right. I am, I do have, I mean, I did, I met Dennis Hopper and, and so I, what? He's, yeah, in 1990, I met Dennis Hopper and, uh, no shit. yeah. And so I've, you I've always, the lead motherfucker. Come on, man. Tell the story. Yeah. So in, in 1990 in the, yeah. you know, the, the reemergent years, he was, yeah, yeah, yeah. he was in Crawfordville, Georgia. Shooting, okay. uh, shooting a film with Ed Harris and Barbara Hershey called Paris Trout, based yep. on the Pete Dexter novel, and he actually won an Emmy for that performance. You know, it's it's yeah. uh, it's sad to me that Dennis never did win uh, an Oscar, but um, through a friend of mine's mother who was doing the extras casting, a woman who still does extras casting uh, and has done some amazing work in that, and you know, in casting people, uh, Cynthia yeah. Stillwell. She knew how obsessed we were. I was a sophomore in high school and she knew how obsessed I was and her son was with uh, David Lynch's films, uh, yep. you know, yeah. and also um, we were big fans of, of Dennis Hopper. And she said, Dennis is cool and he's very down to earth and he would totally be fine with meeting you all. So we drove up uh, in a, you know, drove up one day, five hours from Savannah to Crawfordville, Georgia 
And uh, we got to, they were going to go shoot all night in the, the courthouse there. And uh, Dennis was on a break and Ed Harris was on a break and they were in uh, rocking chairs on the front porch. And uh, Cynthia knew him at, at that point. It was in, was basically like, I'm going to bring my son and his friend to meet you. And Dennis was like, bring him on. And I had this uh, portrait of him on a postcard that I'd brought with me. And we showed up and we got a picture with him and he signed it. He signed it. He could not have been nicer. I mean, he really? was, oh my God, was he so genuine? He was just like, he was like, how are you boys doing? And, um, and I, and I What'd think, you talk I, about with him. I think I just said like, you know, I loved you in blue velvet, you know, you're amazing. And, um, just, you know, <laughs> yeah. so, so honored. We're huge fans. And it was really cool because, yeah. because Ed Harris was sitting just a few feet away and, I, th- I mean, I-, I was what, like, I don't know, 16. And uh, wow. Ed Harris was sitting uh, just a few feet away and was actually kind of grinning and kind of had a pride was I-, I could tell he kind of respected that we weren't huge fans of his. But the fact that we had such adoration for Dennis, I think it. Yeah, kind- yeah, yeah. I think I think he was Ed Harris was like, wow, that's really cool. These guys are like 16 and they're 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 like huge Dennis Hopper right, fans. Right. Like how amazing is that? These guys are, right. these kids are really cool. And, and so I handed Dennis the postcard and I was like, will you sign this? And he was like, sure. Um, he's like, Hey, where'd you get this man? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, I got it in a, I got it in a postcard rack in the uh, little five points in Atlanta. And he was like, cool. And he wrote, thanks, Joseph Dennis Did Hopper. Did you really say man? Do you say it? Like yeah, that? yeah, 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 like, yeah. Oh, and his, great. um, his wife was there. Um, his fourth wife was there hovering and, uh, and then that was it. And then we, we, you know, that was it. It was very short and sweet, but it was, um, yeah. but like, and also we, we talked to Ed Harris and he's, he, he, I got Ed Harris's signature as well. And they both were, you know, complete, uh, gentlemen, totally open right, right, and, right. and gave us what? like, gave us like a good five or 10 minutes of their, of their break before going back in and oh, filming. And so I think I've kind of always, uh, just had enormous, uh, respect and, and for Dennis Hopper as an artist. Um, and when I discovered these photographs that had sort of been, um, spirited away, uh, from the, the compound, the mud palace, Mabel Dodge's house in New Mexico to protect them. And then they were, they resurfaced, uh, through a number of different books. Um, you just realize like, God, that he was so visual. And he always said like, you know, I've got a keen eye and it's always working. And, yeah, and a lot of people yeah, always yeah. said that about him. Like he's got, he's got a really keen eye. So yeah, I do respect yeah, yeah. his photography and I, I do, I do think it's, um, it's of a, of a great, of it's, it's definitely of a professional caliber and truly yeah. some of those images from that period are really iconic. There's a, there's some pictures of, um, Allen Ginsberg and Timothy Leary yeah, yeah. that are famous. There's a famous, the portrait of rock, the portrait <laughs> yeah, again, of, like, I feel like he was like one of the four people in America who was smoking weed. And so, yeah, no, I hung out with Allen Ginsberg. We were smoking weed. Like, yeah. 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 Yeah, go on, yeah, yeah. I mean, so I mean, just some of his pictures, like his picture of Paul well, he Newman. Was, he hung out with fucking Miles Davis. Yeah. He was that, friends with fucking Miles Davis. And he claimed that one of the songs on, on, um, kind of blue was like about him in some way. Wow. I didn't know. Yeah. Th- I did not know that. I did not know that. No. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. That, I mean, that was in the the book that I read. Yeah. And that was, that was like, I think that was the tipping point for me. I'm like, he knew everybody fucking cool. Like everybody cool somehow was in his orbit or like somehow like one little thing away from him. And it was like, 
Well, that oh, go on, go on. that you're, that, you're that saying... period. Well, that period in the 1960s um, where he married Brooke Hayward and they yeah. they had that um, you know they had that house in in Hollywood. Um, yeah. In well, in Los Angeles, that I mean, they were you know hosting like. Andy Warhol when he came to have his first West Coast show. I mean, they were yeah. they were hanging out with um, Peggy Moffat and William Claxton, and you know, it, it was it was it was a who's who of Hollywood wanted to get to party at, at you know at, at the at the Dennis Hopper and Brooke Hayward house because she was also um, kind of Hollywood. Like a, she was kind of Hollywood royalty, and she was Hollywood royalty, yeah, for sure. I forget and, who her parents were, but yeah, that's what the book said over and over. Yeah. And so, I mean, Dennis was collecting like in the early sixties, he was buying Lichtensteins and he had multiple Warhols and well, yeah, he was a big pop art collector. Yeah, so And he, he loved abstract expression. Charming, but that's what he yeah, loved. That and he, and thing. he also, he loved, he loved abstract expressionism and that was the style in which he painted in the late fifties, early sixties. Um, of course, most of those canvases were later destroyed and, you know, yeah. so I mean, he that exile from Hollywood. I think it's it's a creative surge in his career outside of that medium of of acting and uh, and then of course later directing. And then you know, yeah. not to not to not to fast forward, but like it does happen again in the aftermath of the film we're considering the last movie. Right. Um, yeah, you know, when when the, the executives from Hollywood came in and they they screened the film finally. You know, they all worked, walked out, and I think some one of them said, "Like, surely this will be the last movie for Dennis Hopper." Like, you know, he- well, just just like one little like um, production thing about it. So, what I found to be very interesting is like it was part of like some pilot program. I, I forget what film studio, but like they gave a million dollars to like because yeah, they, all, you know, they're all like in disarray after Easy Rider. They didn't know what the fuck, why the fuck Easy Rider. Right, three hundred and three hundred and eighty thousand dollars invested into a film by Columbia Pictures that makes forty four million dollars, which it's is crazy. The, the it's the equivalent of like a hundred and twenty to one hundred and forty million dollars today. Like that film, it's, I mean, it's like the ultimate indie film that went massive mainstream blockbuster. Right, and but but not but you say like ultimate indie film, like that's there's a term now indie film, you know, like and it, it was. There wasn't indie film, right? It was, that was the first one, more or less. I mean, there are right. like Roger Corman, Roger Corman and American, films, right, 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 and AIP, American International stuff. But right. it was like that was the first, like, an, that was a trend-setting thing. It does things that no movie had ever done before, like in simple things, like um, it was the first movie to show um, like streaking rays of sunlight on the frame, like that that. That it only happened in documentaries, right? right. And I also think the 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 I think maybe the nudity in it was was relatively new and was walking a line there. I'm not I'm not positive maybe. about that. I mean, it was like exploitation because, like, yeah, there are like some a little bit of nudity in like Corman movies and whatever, and like European movies, like I Am Curious Yellow and bullshit like that. Right? Movie? Did you ever watch that movie? Wh- which movie was that? I Am Curious Yellow. It was like this big. It was, it's this real shitty, like black and white European movie. It came out like 67, 68, but it, it, it became very popular because it had nudity in it. And it no, showed, like, art no, pictures, no yeah. I have, I have not had the pleasure of that film. It sucks. It was like, you remember, um, fucking, what, what was that? Uh, uh, 
the big video store, uh, the big video and record store, Tower Records. Tower, Tower Records, yes. Tower, they rule. They were like the best. Oh, man, yeah. I used to go to the one the on Newber- Newberry Street in Boston. I used to go to that one. There was one on Route 17 in New- in uh, Paramus, New Jersey, that was like a 10-minute, 15-minute drive from my house. And I would still, that was the only video store I liked, even though it was a half an hour investment to go there. Because they had a whole wall called the Cult Section. Okay. And yeah, that was yeah, like yeah, my, yeah. My jam, yeah. And yeah, so I watched like a lot of it was good. You know, a lot of it was like cool shit, but you know, they need to watch like I Am Curious Yellow and you'd be like, oh, fuck this. <laughs> fuck European movies. I want to watch Die Hard. But, um, <laughs> but you're talking, you're, you were talking about the, the sort of Hollywood being thrown into disarray and then basically realizing dollars to yes, five different filmmakers. Right. And it was, well, or, I'm trying to remember who it was. Do you remember it was, yeah, yeah, Milos Forman was one of them. Right. And, and I, oh, yeah. And, um, oh, yeah. Here it is. George, George Lucas. Uh, yes, he made THX 1138. THX, yep, exactly. And then you've got yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Douglas Trumbull. And then um, I think Peter Fonda was the other. Oh, really? No, there's I, definitely Milos Forman. He made a movie called um, Take It Off or something like that. I don't know. You know, it's, I, I just. Yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. This. Taking Off. The Hired Hand, Silent Running, and American Graffiti. Silent Running, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, American Graffiti, right, right, right. American Graffiti, yeah, so, that's the film that Lucas made with that seed money, that million-dollar seed money. because oh, Because basically the studios realize they're like, the counterculture has money. And, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, the, and youth always, youth always, you know, are a driving force and 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 spending money to, um, you know, you know in, in terms of buying, um, cultural content. And so, yeah. Right. They, and so they, they realized they needed to, to reach out. Uh, and that and they was, also realized they had no idea how to reach out. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's and, the, and the thing is interesting because it's like, there are seeds of like, like you just like to not to go back to that film. But, um, if you think about the, the Fonda film that we were talking about earlier, the biker film, yeah, uh, Wild, Wild Angels, Angels. Yeah. I mean, like you're knocking on the door there, but you're not showing hippie dumb. You're just showing biker gang. But the, right. the ideas, the counterculture ideas there are there. I mean, I can't help but think of the, the, the Hells Angels at Altamont. You know, like, yeah. it's the same. It, we're in the ballpark, but it's not having that same connectivity and universality that right. that, that then manifests with Easy, Easy Rider. And it's not as distilled as Easy Rider. Because Easy Rider is such a simple movie. And that's the thing also. I think that last movie is much better of a film than Easy Rider. And I think it's much more of an effective film, but I, and, and I think it's a refinement of a lot of the things in Easy Rider. Like, like a, I texted Zychek, our friend Alex Zychek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another, another Cinema Death Cult guest. And um, I was trying to kind of try to sell him on the last movie. And I, and uh, one of the things I said was like, hey, you know the interminable New Orleans montage scene in Easy Rider? So, Dennis Hopper in, in the last movie, I feel like he figured out how to make that good. You know, it feels like the better version of that. Like that just seems like muddy and boring and a waste of time. But like um, in the last movie, it's that same weird jittery editing shit. And it's just like so effective. Yeah. I, 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 I can see where you're coming from there for sure. I can't, I can't disagree. Yeah, I, don't, there. I mean, do you, I, if you like that scene, I'll, you know, I would like, to no, no, no. Are you talking about the, the, you're talking about the, the scene in new Orleans and the, um, an easy rider. Yeah. Yeah. I think what Dennis was trying to do quite frankly was, was 
visually represent an acid trip in a way that was more successful than uh, the Roger Corman film, The Trip, which, right. yes. <laughs> which is which just, we, <laughs> which is like, which really should be called The Bad Trip because it's like, yeah, that movie, it's I, I, a, a lot more asterisks. Yeah, I mean, I like, the, I like The Trip. It's a good movie. I think there's actually a, a really, um, I think with generally with Dennis Hopper, I think there's a connective thread between uh, The Trip and um, the Tarantino movie, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Okay. Like it's, it's. I feel like th- there's something about it that feels like this is the movie Tarantino <laughs> was watching when he wrote that. That's you know, but it's quite possible. I, I, yeah, that's, yeah. That's a like, great. That's a great job of doing some detective work there. That <laughs> may, or may not be true, but yeah. I mean, certainly the well, the certainly some of the sets and the colors and the way that the trip works. Uh, do relate yeah, yeah, yeah. to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh God, what a what a nice job you did there! Wow, <laughs> thank you. Wow. But also in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, there's a scene where fucking um, Leonardo DiCaprio is like he's the bad guy in the TV show, which right. um, which seemed to like actually when I was reading Dennis Hopper's biography, like that echoed a lot with Dennis Hopper's real life. And I don't I don't know if that was a coincidence, but definitely like visually, like um, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is dressed exactly like uh, Dennis Hopper in Easy Rider, right. Yep. He has a fringe jacket. Yep. Oh, oh, but you, you sent me that great, um, article about the last movie, uh, uh, the visual, the talk about the, the, the Royal Tenenbaums connection. Well, yeah. Eli Cash, you know, apparently Owen Wilson, Owen Wilson does have that sort of jaw structure and facial structure that is somewhat similar to, uh, you know, Dennis Hopper in this period. Yeah. And my God, if they ever do, a, if they ever did, were to make a, a, a Hollywood film about the making of the last movie, which would be meta beyond meta. Uh, Owen Wilson yeah. would probably be a good character to, oh, to portray. The they also have a friend. They have a friend in common. Oh, really? Kit Carson. Oh, really? So how does Kit Carson yeah, relate Kit Carson, to Owen Wilson? Uh, well, for, um, so you told, so I have a sort of a Kit Carson story. You had a Dennis Hopper story. I have a Kit Carson. Give it to me. He went to, he, he went to high school with my dad. Oh They're wow! From Dallas, yeah, they went to Jesuit high school in uh, in Dallas, Texas. He knew him pretty well, and he just said, you know, he's a cool guy and whatever. And he graduated from his Jesuit Catholic school and went off to, you know, be this film guy. And he did all this stuff with film, and he he wrote um, Paris, Texas. He uh, he also wrote Texas Chainsaw Massacre too, right? And that's why starring Dennis Hopper, right? But he he directed American Dreamer, and he was instrumental with getting um, with the early careers of um, the Wilson brothers and um, Anderson. Uh, the, Wes Anderson. Uh, wow. Wes Anderson. Yeah. Uh, yeah I did not from, know the kick. Texas yeah. Guys, they got yeah. that Texas connection there. Yeah. 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 But apparent, apparently, uh, you know, Owen Wilson based Eli cash in Royal Tenenbaums on the Dennis, <laughs> Dennis Hopper circa last yeah. movie, American dreamer. Like that sort of like lost, you know, kind of, you know, the sort of lost and drug addled character. And that's lost and dangerous. Yeah. That's Eli Cash. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. But the another thing that came out, I, I was watching Dennis, uh, Dennis Hopper. Yeah. Oh, completely pirating the, the wardrobe. But one of the yeah. things, one of the things that I, I had also come across was, um, I think Letterman had Hopper on at one point in the eighties. And this is a far more sober Dennis Hopper and said something like, uh, we've got David Crosby on tonight and maybe, you know, David Crosby and he's like, uh, do I know David Crosby? And you know, it's cause apparently yeah. 
Crosby, Stills, and Nash was going to do the soundtrack for Easy Rider originally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I didn't realize that. And De- and Dennis was sort of annoyed with how um, commercial they were with their limos and everything. And so he he kind of rebuffed that. But um, but apparently yeah, instead he got uh, uh, the birds. Yeah, he got the birds. He got he got yeah. Ro- he got Roger Roger McGuinn. Roger McGuinn to write a song with lyrics that Dylan wrote on a napkin and you said know the story of that. Yeah, saw, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dylan Dylan I basically. Saw, I saw Roger McGuinn in concert a couple of years. I love fucking Roger McGuinn. I love you him. gotta love Roger McGuinn, man. He's Absolute great, legend. Undisputed greatest twelve string guitar player of all time. Oh, a great songwriter. I mean, just a great, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, yeah, great. I mean, just the birds. The birds were the band the Beatles wanted to be. I mean, yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. the well, Beatles. They're the, they're kind of the second. I mean, like, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. I don't want to go. I don't want to go too deep there, but I, I know that when right, right, every, right. every time the Beatles toured America, they were like, "We want to go hang out with the birds. Like, we want to just go yeah, hang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we want to go hang. No, out. We're gonna, we want to go hang out with underrated, them. Underrated uh, classic rock band. They're so good. They they have like fucking six amazing albums that nobody knows. Yeah, like untitled, uh, unissued, fucking um, notorious birds brothers, whatever. But yeah, yeah. So that when I saw Roger McGuinn in concert, like. His whole thing is he comes out and he just like plays his twelve string and he tells little stories about his Hollywood friends and music runs or whatever. And yeah, he told the story of like Peter Fonda wanting um some Bob Dylan song right. to be an easy rider. Bob Dylan for for whatever reason couldn't wouldn't do it or couldn't do it. And then he said, But here <laughs> Here, uh, I'm gonna write you something. And he wrote down some bullshit two like line thing. The river flows, <laughs> it flows yeah, to the river. sea. Wherever <laughs> that river flows, that's where I wanna be. Yeah, that's and then Yeah, the ballad of Easy Rider. He writes the lyrics on a napkin and he and he basically tells Peter Fonda, like, hey man, like I, I don't yeah. think they sh- I don't think they should die at the end, you know, like and it's it's like it's like Bob, why don't you stick to the songwriting? You know, right? Do and they it, play that song, or he sings that song in, in American Friend as well, which is very interesting. Right? Well, yeah, he come well, that scene where he walks out onto the balcony, clearly improvising yeah. yet again, Dennis in an improvisational uh, yeah, yeah, role. Yeah, yeah. But but yeah, so I, I wanted to go back to David Crosby because the question yeah. that Letterman asked him was, um, it was something like, well, supposedly. Uh, you based uh, the the way that you styled the character of Billy and Easy Rider on David Crosby, and well, it looks De- so similar. Yeah, and Dennis was like, "No, not at all." He's like, "Not at all." He's like, "That that's not true. That's a, that's that's a, that's not accurate." But there is there is a similarity there. You can't deny it. That you know, and David Crosby, yeah. David Crosby was just such a blowhard, and you know, in the nineteen yeah. sixties. I mean, still is to this day. Like he's on Twitter and stuff. Yeah, and they and they and they've all exiled him. They've all you know. They've all basically said you're persona non grata. Uh, yeah. you know, all like, of them. He Stephen complains Stills. that Roger McGuinn has blocked him on Twitter. It's the funniest fucking yeah, thing. Yeah, none of them will talk to him anymore. Graham Nash, Neil Young. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. they they don't want anything to do with him anymore. Like the birds could reunite. Like most of them are still alive. There's like, you know, a couple of them that are, well, they, I mean, they a bunch of lineup changes, but in theory, like there could be a, a birds reunion concert. That would be tomorrow. crazy. Crosby with, with McGuinn. That'd be an amazing thing. I would, I, I mean, I would, I would buy the, the first through 16th tickets for that fucking show. But, um, <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. But I, but just real quick, as I mentioned Kit Carson before. So I've watched, um, I went on like a Dennis Hopper journey for this. I watched, I rewatched Texas Chainsaw Massacre two for the first time wow. since high school. You went deep. And yeah, yeah. I watched that and I watched Speed. Um, mm. w- yeah, and Speed wow. is Speed is marginal. Because what happened was this is was very clear to me reading the book. So like in eighty seven he had his big like 
comeback and everybody's like applauding him. It's like, oh, you don't do drugs anymore. You can make movies. And so he does fucking Blue Velvet, which is a masterpiece. And and, and, and apparently he and he and David Lynch were simpatico on set. Like, yeah. you know, just like of the exact same mindset. And yeah, and it was like apparently real simple movie making for Lynch. Like he didn't have to give Dennis direction like Dennis. Dennis took the direction and went way beyond what he needed every take. And he right. said, supposedly it was like an incredible, you know, uh, collaboration uh, when Dennis right. performed. But the, problem, but the problem with that movie in, in terms of Dennis Hopper, both that one and, and uh, Hoosiers and uh, to a degree um, uh, River's Edge mm-hmm. um, is that they were so good and like, and everyone's like, oh yeah, Dennis Hopper is really good. That he kept playing reiterations of those roles mm-hmm. over and over for the rest of his life. And that was like 87 and he kept making movies until he died in like 2010 and so you keep seeing like you know like i, I watch speed and i'm like it's okay and it's a good movie like it's very like tightly constructed and there's a lot of great stunts um and he's good in it but it's it's like i i realized after reading the book i'm like oh he's just doing like a a, a shadow of fucking blue velvet you know like it's a shadow of his sinister villain blue velvet guy right he's, you know Right, and and, and that water- and that bleeds maybe into Waterworld as well. Yes, Waterworld and Super Mario Brothers and all the bullshit he made, or whatever. Because yeah, it's just like a reiteration, a rehash, and it's boring. You know, it sucks. But like watching um, uh, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre was very instructive, I think, because it was the same year he did um, Blue Velvet, and so he is he's trying to phone it in. He's trying to fuck. He has contempt for the material that comes through. Right, and. And, uh, but so he just comes in and he's trying to phone it, but he still has this presence and he still has these instincts. And so it becomes this really interesting performance. Well, I think it's, it's, you know, in many ways it's like what, you know, how good can Dennis Hopper be when he actually knows the material? And it's like, you know, the seventies, one of the, one of the quotes I wrote down was, um, from one of the documentaries because he actually commissioned, William Burroughs to write a screenplay for junkie based on the book. Yeah. He was trying to make junkie for a couple of years. Yeah. And he was like really into it. And, um, for whatever reason it, it petered out. And in the eighties, he was asked about that and he said, you know, don't, don't ask me about the seventies. I, I don't remember the seventies. And, but at the same yeah. time, like the seventies, he, you know, even though he's in this sort of blacklist of, of Hollywood, he makes apocalypse now. He makes apocalypse now. He makes fucking American friend, American friend. Yeah. American friend. And yeah. And I I think we talked about that. You watched that one too. what do you think of American friend? Oh my God. Is it fantastic? I thought, I, I I don't know if you feel that way about it. I mean, I, again, homage to Fred file here, but like, again, it takes us, it takes us back to, our, our our college days and watching that that movie I'd forgotten about it but but I know I watched it um in Fred's you know that cinema class I watched Fred it in Fred's taught. class yeah. yeah and and uh and I loved it then and this time and I I watched it after we were talking uh we and I just wasn't into it this time and I, and I think it was like because the tension was gone for me I knew that the guy was because the, the tension of the film is the midway point where you're like is this guy gonna kill the other guy Right. Is yeah, he going to do it or is he not going to do it? Right. And yeah, and it's real. It's one of the few movies where it seems like really open ended. The first time you see it, you're like, I don't know. I don't know. This is going to happen. Right. And then, right. And then it takes forever. It takes forever. Yeah. It's like, yeah. It's, it's definitely slow and, and sort of, but it's kind of melodic in a way. I mean, I think the thing that, yeah. the thing that Vinders does that, that so touches me in that film 
and it kind of connects me back to Nick Ray with Rebel is the use of color is so yes, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. brilliant, man. I mean, the the, the raincoats, yeah, the rain. Well, I just there's there's this really uh, poignant scene in American Friend when um, the wife and the child uh, and Bruno Bruno Gans, you know, they're all walking out and they're in the wife is leaving in a taxi or something. And just the the the, the scene has just these blue the blues of the uh, you know of the environment. But then she's got this raincoat on and he's in this red jacket and it's like. The colors are just speaking and creating this this really powerful mood, and it, it reminds me of of, yeah. of Dean's red jacket back in uh, Rebel. Because Nick Ray, I mean, in Rebel, and on and, and another weird connection is the fact that Nick Ray is in American Prison. Yeah, he's, he's the he's he's the forger. Patch, yeah. yeah, he's the forger yeah. with his eye patch, and and also, yeah. and you know, anyway, I just love that use of color in American Friend, but. Yeah. But in many ways, to, to bring up Nick Ray is, is is catapulting me back to how did Dennis kind of in some ways, in my opinion, and maybe not in yours, lose his way with the last movie? Because Nick Ray was somebody that that, you know, did did his own little residency at the uh, at the Mud Palace during the editing of the film. And right, right, apparently right. he ran up a thirty thousand dollar phone bill and then what does dennis what does dennis do dennis gets him a professorship back east like yeah you know crazy like it's like it's like it's like it's like it's like yeah it's like nick what are you doing you're you're, i can't pay your phone bill like why don't you go be a professor of film like you're you're clearly lost and nick ray apparently was trying to help him with the editing um yeah but 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 anyway it's hard to say because i think that he was you can just say glibly like oh yeah it was drugs but also like he, when he stopped doing drugs, like his shit becomes a lot more boring. And, and, you know, I mean, with obvious exceptions like Blue Velvet, but you know, it's like, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, like, I think, well, it's he's so, he, he's so unpredictable. Like in the American friend, apparently he had just done apocalypse. Now there's so much B roll from uh, hearts of darkness, the documentary, there, yeah. there's a lot of b-roll from that there's some of that that's online where dennis couldn't remember his lines i mean he was too fucked up yeah. to remember his lines and yeah, it's so funny because oh yeah i say it because he he it's what he says is just completely stream of consciousness yes improv yes he's and imp- it's like that poem that if that, that rudyard he, kipling poem he just yeah yeah i mean, if, I mean I, I re- he read he recited on uh on johnny, johnny cash. cash yeah it's like johnny cash show. so he's he's and then years later he's it, on apocalypse now and he's trying to like yep struggle to get through struggling to get through it he's just living in the moment and that's a brilliant move by an actor because it's basically like yeah it's like if i can just inhabit the sentiment of my character then the fucking lines don't matter it's just the sentiment of the character and i can say whatever as long as my intention is right and so yeah he's 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 spewing off kipling then he starts talking t.s Eliot, and and, and he's just like he's and, and, and then he's just going crazy and and all coppola can do is sort of chide him in the off hour um but at the same right. time, but at the same time, Coppola is accepting that, like, wow, he he is inhabiting the moment. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna yeah, accept it. But he also is like the 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 by far the best performance in that movie. Oh, it's it over it overshadows a lot of the fun of the finale of the film. And yeah. one, one of the great stories, which I'm gonna we have to talk about, is the fact that I, I was gonna, the, oh, yeah, the Brando gonna thing, the the fact that Brando wouldn't Brando do didn't like him. Yeah. Brando hated him and would not do a scene with him. And Dennis was so fucked up that, um, you know, apparently Dennis had been there for a long time. 
and you know kind of on set ridiculous like months and months and months and you feel like he could have shot what he what he's in that movie in like a week yeah and so he was there doing a ton of drugs smoking a ton of tie stick and and (laughs) and you know and they're waiting for marlin they're all waiting for marlin and um and so marlin shows up he hasn't read heart of he hadn't read conrad he hadn't read heart of darkness and so yeah. and, and, and so Coppola's clearly annoyed with him. And and at the time, these kind of Green Beret guys who'd been consulting on the film had given Dennis this book. It's, I think it was it's called like the Green Book. And it's just, it's like a, it's like actually a kind of a, a moment of reverence that they would do that. And so he had this book and he kept it in his pot in his boot, I think, because, he you know, is a book about the Green Berets or something. And I, I don't know a lot about this. But they were at a dinner, like the first one of the first nights Brando was there. And the whole time, um, you know, Coppola's like, you haven't read the book. Like you, how can you be Kurtz if you haven't read the book? And and Dennis is picking up on this and he's sitting kind of catty corner across the table from Brando. And he and he and he so is in awe of Brando. And he just says he says something like you haven't read the book, man. Like, yeah. like here's the book. And he's, and he goes to pull this book out of his boot and Brando just like rises from the table and is basically makes a huge scene. And it's like, I don't want anything to do with him. You keep him away from me and I don't, I will not do a scene with him. And then they, the next day they disappear. Coppola and Brando disappear for a couple of days and Brando yeah. and, and Coppola by boat. Coppola is reading him joseph conrad yeah, yeah, yeah. and so hey, that so, um, then so anyway I'm, I'm off on that tangent there but i think it was another thing about dean again here it is everybody the ghost of james dean yeah they absolutely. were i think they were looking at dailies one night in a theater or something and um and hopper was all fucked up and he said something as he was walking behind brando and he said something like my friend said you were the greatest actor of our time or something. And, you know, he's kind of running his mouth about James Dean and and Brando at that point was basically like, I'm done with you. I'm done with you. And so, and so at the end of the shooting of apocalypse now, he flies to Germany and he he shows up in character as the photojournalist. Yeah. And Vim Vendors is like, Oh my God, what, what am I going to have to do to make this work? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, it's a very different performance in uh, American Friend. No, and it's great. It's like, and I think it's great. It's, I mean, I think it's his performance in American Friend. I really liked. I I found maybe I wasn't in the right headspace this time, but I was like not able to engage with the slow suspense of the you know the right. drawn out stuff. It's very hypno- it's t- very hypnotic. I mean, it's kind of a hypnotic yeah, but, film. And and like hypnosis, if you're if you're not suggestible, you're right? Just, you know, you're just sitting there and you're mad. Well played. You know, but, um, well played. Yeah. But uh uh what was I going to say? Um Oh yeah, so I I texted uh I texted Zychek about I was watching Apocalypse Now and I'm like, "You know what? This guy like Dennis Hopper in Apocalypse Now, kind of my vibe when I'm wasted, just a little bit. You know, like I'm telling more jokes and stuff, but I feel like, you know, the way he's moving his arms and stuff, like this kind of echoes of of my vibe here and I'm <laughs> a little bit like protective of it somehow." Oh yeah, no, the other thing was um yeah, the instruct the other instructive thing about Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. Speaking of um, Apocalypse Now, and I'm going to talk about some bad films. Sure, right? that's fine. Because so, uh, so, Den- Dennis has many in his uh, filmography yeah. for sure. So what's in- what's instructive about Texas Chainsaw Massacre too is that there's a, a a character in it that's like 
third generation copy of his character in Apocalypse Now, like a motor mouth, acid casualty, um, Vietnam guy, but he sucks because it's not real and it's just like some horror movie bullshit. But Dennis Hopper is actually fucking in the movie. So right. it's really weird. And so, you know, Dennis Hopper shows up and he's just like lazy and not, not committed, but he's like has enough presence and he's, you know, that he doesn't know how to totally phone it in yet. He would later, but, you know, he still kind of brings it enough that it makes sense. And um, also when he was in the wilderness, he made, he was in probably the worst Robert Altman movie. Hmm. A movie called O.C. and Stiggs. Have you ever heard of this movie? No, gosh, no. Like, yeah, it's, it's on YouTube. I'll send it to you. It sucks. I couldn't get through most of it, but it's sort of a 80s teen sex comedy, but it's by Robert Altman, which makes what? it like so much fucking, yeah, so much worse. How it did sucks. it, how did that, how did that even happen? I I don't, you know, it's like 1983, I think is like post Popeye or something. So, but Dennis Hopper shows up and Dennis Hopper throughout his later career, it's disheartening to me that he was so willing to sell out who he was in the seventies, like make a caricature of himself. Well, yeah. I mean, you, you see that, you know, not to jump in and interrupt you and I'm sorry for doing it, sure, but, sure, like, sure. No, it's fine. but like the fact that he, he did those like NFL promotional promo videos yeah. where, where he's like the referee with the guitar playing in the parking lot. I mean, there's, there's, oh, a, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's like, it's like, you know, in many ways, I think he thought he was, he was getting a paycheck and he was, um, you know, trying to be relevant to another generation. And also that film he did with Kiefer Sutherland flashback. Flashback. Yeah. yeah. Which I actually saw in the theater. Um, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, it's, I remember, it, there was a, that, those commercials are on, on TV all the time. That was yeah, the first time I knew who Dennis Hopper was. And he was, he, I mean, ex, an extraordinarily mainstream person, but like you said so well, a caricature of who, he had been and, 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 yeah. and it's sort of sad and it's sort of winsome. It's like, ah, yeah. you know, sorry, I interrupted your, your thought there. No, that's fine. No. Cause it's totally, I, uh, I can flow back into the terrible movie OC and Stiggs because it's a parody of his character from apocalypse now. Right. But like in, in eighties um, California and he's supposed to be like a weed dealer, but they even play like the doors and they make some kind of camera movement that looks like apocalypse now. And he has the same stupid headband and stuff. And it wasn't, and it's disheartening to see. It's disheartening it to see because like, because like his whole thing, like the thing that's so exciting about Dennis Hopper watching him and like when he's good is like this live wire energy and this truth. That the, unpre- the sheer unpredictability of him as an actor. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, but it, it's just like, it's like you, you watch him in American friend and he's fucked up. I mean, he's, yeah. he's on drugs in those scenes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he's also not aware. He's also probably not on script. And, yeah. you know, he's so famously there's a fam- that famous story that finally uh, the German actor Bruno Gans finally yeah. hit him in the face in one of the scenes. Like, you know, just <laughs> a very German reaction, like so tired yeah. of him not remembering his lines and fucking up the scene. You know that scene. he's the guy that played Hitler in Downfall? Yes. And I mean, and that, I didn't that, make that connection until like, like two days ago. No, I, I did. When I saw American Friend, I was like, oh my God. I saw it again for the second time because I didn't remember it from college. And I was like, yeah, I was like, oh my dear God, he's the, he's the Hitler in Downfall. And that, and perf- all the memes. And that, perf- yeah, the unfortunate, uh, you know, uh, uh, 
you know, widespread use of that film and memes. Yeah, that's, but that's, but that, 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 that film is, that is a great dark, dark film. And his performance is, I think, yeah, probably. I have to watch, I'll watch it again in the right headspace, but I was just like. Oh, oh I mean, it, it's, I, a, it's a tough headspace. I couldn't head, engage with it, yeah. It's a tough headspace to be in. I actually watched it on Christmas Eve this year. and uh, <laughs> <laughs> That sounds horrible. It, it was dark. It was very, very yeah, dark. Sad. No it was, it was sad. It was pretty sad, yeah. It was a, it yeah. was a dark time. Dark time. Twenty twenty was a. It was so appropriately twenty twenty of a move. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I watched uh, a, a Christmas movie with my daughter, and yeah, it was a different vibe by far. <laughs> well, w- w- one thing I want to discuss because I think we're kind of getting to the wrap up point. But one thing I yeah, think, yeah, for sure. One thing sure. I think about the last movie that we have to we have to mention um, is is the is the influence of. I think so many people on Dennis when he was trying to edit the film and he didn't feel he clearly didn't feel any urgency because, you know, the, the studio was 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 really trying to get him to get it done in time for con. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and he was feeling so much pressure. And I think he was clearly uh, in a paranoid state. I mean, it, it was at that yeah. t- it was at that time that he. He actually shot a machine gun. He shot a Tommy gun through the wall of his house. He yeah. he shot. He had discovered cocaine. He was very enthusiastic about cocaine. Yeah, I mean, he shot one of his Warhol paintings of Mao. Um, he almost apparently at one point he almost killed his brother when he shot yeah. through the ceiling, and his brother David Hopper was upstairs, um, and the bullet apparently narrowly missed him. So, I mean, Dennis was in a fractured state of sanity at that time, but. Um, yeah. so many people kept influencing the edit of the picture. And I think we'd be remiss if we don't at least mention, um, the film, the Chilean French filmmaker, Yodorowsky, who had made El Topo, yep. uh, which yep. is considered like the, you know, a, a genre I didn't really know was a genre, which is the acid Western. Um, yeah, it rules. And, it rules. And, and El Topo is, I don't know what you, th- what do you think of El Topo as a film? Do you- oh, it's great. I love El Topo. I like, I, I love that movie. I was trying, you know, a while ago I did like this um, mental exercise. I was like, I was so into um, uncut gems, but I like it, it obviously is so tense and and anxiety riddled, you know? I was like, so what's the chill uncut gems? And I was like, (laughs) maybe El Topo? I don't know. Anyway, go on. So uh, Yodorowsky visited Hopper at the time and and looked at the edit that they had at the time, which I think was the edit that, um, you know, a, that a lot of people consider to be a pretty good version of the film. And, uh, yeah. And Yodorowsky basically, you know, told him that, you know, this is crap and, uh, you need to, you need to fix this. You need to change it. And, um, yeah. And, you know, he basically said, you know, break new cinematic ground, you know, destroy the edit, create a disjointed narrative, you know, break this apart. And, um, I, I, I don't know whether, whether that is a, um, you know, a, a move that, we look back on now as being what turned what would have been a potentially commercially successful meta Western into an art film. I, I don't know, but it, it's hard not yeah. to see Yodorowsky coming in and really sort of, um, you know, causing more confusion, confusion and delaying the film. I mean, at one point, Dennis, right. At one point, he said it, in the book, he said, uh, it said that he actually did a full edit of the movie. Right. And other people have said that he, I think Yodorowsky's yeah. also said that what he had before was terrible and not even a film. Yeah. And what I did was I actually helped him build a film out of it. Um, yeah. But it's like at one point, Dennis claimed the the Black Panthers had stolen the film. You know, did, did you hear that story? 
No, it sounds like a like a, no apparently like a, a cocaine uh, a hallucination kind of thing though. Yeah, no, he you know they were the studio was pressuring him to see the film, and he claimed at one point that the Black Panthers had broken and in and stolen the film. That's hilarious. No, I I didn't know that. I knew that um, Jodorowsky had some kind of editing pass on it, and um, it's it's probably great. I, I like El Topo quite a bit. I do too. Um, I, yeah, I do, I do too, and I think. You know, I actually really like El Topo. I I had not seen it, and I finally watched it, and I think visually, it's 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 almost like watching a, a Bruce Lee Enter the Dragon meets a Western. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. it's 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 got a great story, and it's beautifully shot. And yeah, and, yeah, yeah. you know, one of the I think we're kind of pulling towards the end, and I'd love to know what you think about this. But in many ways, I think right. I think it's hard to dis- disassociate. Dennis Hopper from the mythology of the American cowboy, you know, it's, it's yeah. sort of, it, you know, I mean, the, the guy grew up in Dodge city, Kansas and yep. before moving to, to California and, you know, the entire, you know, early years of his career with the exception maybe of, of rebel is, is for the most part uh, spent in television and film Western. And, right. and he's, yeah, they're going to make a Billy, the kid movie starring him, a Billy, the kid TV show. Right. And, yeah. and he's, and he's, he's great in a, in a Western context. He's fantastic. And, and in many ways, easy rider is a Western. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it is, it's, it's a Western that's just told a little, you know, a, a little bit differently with different machines and it, and it connects to the counterculture, <laughs> but, um, yeah. but he occupies that, that space of the American cowboy. And it's, it's sort of, it's sort of something you can't disassociate you know, the rebel nature of that, you know, of, of the outlaw cowboy with Dennis Hopper, it's kind of part of who he is and, and how he functions in the, in the history of, of Hollywood. Yeah, no, I think that's totally right. And I agree with you, but you know, I think that's also, I, I mean, the, the, the thing about him is that we so associate him with like the sixties we think of him as the sixties guy, but I think the important thing to remember about him is that he kind of, invented the sixties. Like he was one of the guys that invented the sixties and he did it as a product of Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And it was, it's funny because he was a showbiz kid. He, you know, started making movies. He's 19, never went to college. And he, you know, was palling around with all these like second generation Hollywood people, like all the, you know, a lot of people had big influence on his life. Like um, obviously Peter Fonda and his first wife. Um, but all, you know the uh, the I forget the name of the the person who produced Easy Rider. His father was a Hollywood studio guy, who had you know actually like who had who had denied um, a contract to Dennis Hopper previously. The father, mm-hmm. um, and so he was the showbiz kid, and he was like immersed in Hollywood, right? And then like so, he kind of has this charmed life again. Like he was like hanging out with Vincent Price when he was like 19. Yeah. Right? And Vincent and, and Vincent Price is the person that first basically turned him on to art and turned him on to abstract, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, turned him on to abstract expressionism and um, yeah. Shakespearean and so acting. He, I mean, yes. But so then he has this like, er, you know, early formative shit and uh, it's, with, and that was his life. Like that's just who he was. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh yeah, this is like marijuana thing. Oh yeah. There's this like, um, uh, societal tumult that's coming on. Oh, also, you know, oh, here's Joan Baez, you know, whatever. Like that was, that was all kind of thrown at him. And, you know, he just kind of took it as, and, you know, and obviously he was who he was, which is not a perfect guy by any means, but he's just like taking it as his life. Like he wasn't a sixties figure. He was a guy that kind of like 
made the sixties. Like we think of like history as this series of blocks of things that were permanent and had to be, you know, of bricks, you know, but they weren't, they were like fluid, even at their time They're and history is fluid now. And he was a guy that made changes and he, he took advantage of the fluidity, the, the, the fluidity of, of life. And, you know, he created his own currents for it. Um, and, and in that way, I think he's very inspiring. And, but also I think it's very disheartening that when he, he calcified his persona when, you know, in the, in the nineties and two thousands and, you know, became like the sixties guy and that sucks. And, you know, just like the, the interesting part of him was how much he invented the sixties. That's true. And what we think of as the sixties. And then he's like, no, it was, I was this guy. I was this figure. I was this caricature. So, yeah, I think I I think you're nailing it. I mean, I think you're 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 absolutely on point there with your analysis. Um, I mean, I mean, well, I read a book. (laughs) Well, I mean, this character of Dennis, you know, you you talk about Dennis in the 60s and Dennis creating the 60s. But I mean, you look at the the connectivity of this person, you know, this this guy who really was an artist. I mean, uh, he was a painter. He was uh, a photographer of great great impact. Uh, and then he was a motion picture director. And before that he was, uh, you know, first and foremost, he was an actor and those, that sort of love and adoration of art, I think is one of the reasons why I have so much, uh, in, in endearing respect for him as a, as a creative individual. I think he just was an incredibly creative, uh, person and he wasn't restricted just to, uh, the medium of acting and to, to Hollywood. But I, and, you know, one of the things that when he died, um, I, I was reading about him is that um, he had so much knowledge of contemporary art because he was a huge collector in addition to a, yeah. in addition to an artist himself and a, a painter and a, a mixed media and a photographer was he had an extraordinary collection. And uh, and he loved he loved architecture. He lived in Frank Geary's house, uh, the house that Geary had designed in, in Los Angeles. Um but when he died, you know, I remember reading about how he would, uh, they would do these, these motorcycle, uh, journeys, uh, like when, when there was a film festival overseas or something, uh, he would coordinate these motorcycle trips where they'd show up and it was like him and Lawrence Fishburne and various other people in his orbit as an adult, uh, Michael Madsen, I think. And they would rent motorcycles, uh, BMW motorcycles, and they'd ride through parts of Europe and they'd go to museums and Dennis would sort of hold court uh, discussing the importance of the different art and, and the different art movements. And a lot of his knowledge and his expertise was in contemporary. And I just thought that was, that was just such a cool thing that in, in the, in his later years, um, you know, he had such a, a tremendous passion for, um, for contemporary art. And he wanted to share that uh, with a lot of his, uh, you know, his friends, within the, the orbit of Hollywood. So, uh, yeah, but yeah, I, but I think yeah. you make a great point. I mean, unfortunately I think symbolically in a film like flashback or, or the, the fact that he's on MTV in the late nineties, you know, like introduce, <laughs> introducing like U 2s live performance. It's like, oh, it's Christ. like, it's like, yeah, he kind of, was he a sellout or, or was he a caricature of his former self? And, you know, maybe he was those things and, and even more, yeah, you know, it's hard to say. I mean, ugh, I don't know. We could probably talk about that question for another hour, but, and maybe perhaps we will someday, but I think that for now, uh, 
Good night, Dennis Hopper. Good night, Ghost of James Dean. Good night, Joe Gamble. Good night, Adam Bolger. All right, man. Thanks so much for having me again. I enjoyed oh, this it. This is great. All right. I can't wait for the next one, man. Sounds good. I got some ideas. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> All right. Bye.